It got louder. How did it get louder? <laughs> Maybe they're like really outside your. Maybe they're in your apartment building. Hello, and welcome to Book Retorts. I'm Sam. I'm Danielle. And this is a show where one of us finds a strange piece of media to share with the other. And today, we have at least the start of the book Lords of the Sky by Angus Wells. This is a big one, so it's probably going to cover three, four, maybe five episodes. So if you're not a big fan of this piece, skip ahead to the next series, which will be something very different, I'm sure. Definitely. I have a bit of personal history with this book. I first read it when I found it in the library's young adult section. I was 13, 14, something like that. And I didn't really get it when I read it then because it was, you know, it's a big book and I was not really understanding the themes. I was 13. I uh, just kind of felt it was weird. And then I promptly forgot everything about it except <laughs> that it existed. So I remember thinking like, what was that book? I couldn't remember the title. I couldn't remember the author. And for years, I was just like, ah, what was that weird book? That weird generic fantasy book that I can't remember anything about? Why did you even remember it existed? I, it's like we have that song. I have a song in my head, but I don't know the name of the song or any of the lyrics. It's that kind of thing. Like I just remembered that there was this weird book about this thing. I'm not going to do any spoilers right now, so I'm not going to give any details. But I remember this weird book and... I couldn't remember the title. I couldn't remember the author. I couldn't – I remember the cover. I remember what the cover looked like and that was it. And so then my freshman year of college, my dorm took a trip to a, a bookstore for our orientation week because nerds and <laughs> it was a used bookstore and I found this book in that used bookstore for like four bucks and I bought it. I read it again. It's just as weird as I, re I thought it was. I still didn't get it and that was, you know, 10 years ago. 12 years ago, something like that. It's fate. You found the book. I did. I thought it was very excited. Oh, this book I remember from, you know, when I was a teenager and now I'm, you know, 20, 18, 19, instead of, you know, 14, 15, reading it again. And I'm reading it now again, obviously, for this show. And it is, it's special. It's a very special book. I'm realizing a lot of things I did not grasp about it from before. So there's a lot of very weird gender politics and class stuff that is mm, ooh, it's gonna be meaty <laughs> looking forward to it then i should mention this book was published in 1994 i don't know if that colors the opinions we're going to have about it but it's fairly modern so that's concerning <laughs> as we'll see all right so to start as we usually do with the back of the book so i'm going to send you a picture of the back of the book <laughs> and as you can tell there's not a lot there no there is not uh, so please go ahead. <laughs> it says, with his bold and brilliant epic trilogy, The God Wars, Angus Wells established himself as a modern master of fantasy. Now comes his most powerful novel yet, a compelling tale of war and redemption in a world of strange beauty and incredible magic. Did the person who wrote write this, did they like actually read the book? That I don't think so. <laughs> I do not think so. It is the, that's it. There's nothing there. However, if you do a little extra sleuthing like I did and you look into inside the front cover there is a actual like dust jacket description huh. in there it's just hidden on the inside of the front cover so i sent you that huh. which is much longer so have fun with that uh, do you want me to read it <laughs> yeah oh, absolutely all right it says is it the on the an 
Eh, I, no, I don't know. The age and the on age old enemy of the Dar have mastered a powerful new battle sorcery and are massing for an attack on Darbeck's shores. It will be the last and greatest battle, a merciless conquest of the lands they once owned and the total destruction of the hated Dar. But Daviot, 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 I don't know, fantasy names, <laughs> Dar storyteller and memory of his people has an impossible dream to bring peace to the warring races. His only allies are a beautiful blind mage, an on warrior who has forgotten his history and heritage and a beast man, a hybrid creation of cynical magic rebelling against a lifetime of persecution and servitude. Together they journey to the lost lands of the north to search for the one weapon that will ensure that the Dar and the on listen to this small band of dreamers. <laughs> But they might. Yeah. But they may find that a weapon of peace can reek, reek, reek. <laughs> Sorry, that was hard for a minute. I'm not it sure I've seen that word spelled before. Um, can wreak far greater destruction than generations of war. Dun, yeah. Dun, okay. Dun. So this dives in hard to fantasy words, made up names, magic, and memory of his people stuff. There's a lot going on. But like all good fantasy books. The first thing you encounter is a map, which is probably the most special map I've ever seen in a fantasy book. Uh-huh. That's and I'm going to send you a picture of it now because I know that our listeners won't be able to see this because audio medium and all that, but I just need someone else <laughs> to see this to validate for me that I'm not crazy. Okay. So you're looking at this map. I am looking at this map. So far, it looks like a generic fantasy map. There's a series of islands on the uh, continents, maybe on the west hand, and there's a series of smaller islands like Archipelago on the east, and in the middle, there's the Sentinels. What's the name of this map? Daviat's World. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not Earth or Middle Earth or Magic Land, whatever. It's just Daviot's World. It belongs to him. It's his planet. <laughs> it's his entire world. <laughs> It's his world. It's his world. There's nothing else here. It's just Davio's world. Maybe he's just trying to tell you that it's that, like the world that this character exists in. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but you'd think they might give it a name. But that's not the part that I find the most crazy. What's in the upper right-hand corner? Um, uh, a compass. I don't know. <laughs> well, there's an inlay. There's like yeah. another smaller map in the upper right-hand corner. Now, inlays and maps are often used to show a detail of something, right. a zoom-in portion of something, or maybe to show like a larger picture so you can see the context for which your map sits. the same thing. It's the exact same <laughs> map, just smaller, and in the upper right-hand corner. Literally the exact same map. It's just they copy-pasted the big map and made it small and put it the big map smaller in the... In the I don't get it. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Why would they have two of the same map on the same page? Right. And one smaller and harder to read inside the bigger one with fewer of the details. I don't get it. Told you it has, I don't it has get a it. little compass. Maybe it needed to um, explain to you north, south, east, and you west. You put the direction. compass without the map. You don't need the smaller map to have the compass, Danielle. Yeah, that's the only difference. I, I was reading this on the Kindle, and I literally went to my bookshelf and got the paperback down so I could check to see maybe they changed it from the paperback. No, they're exactly the same. They're both just as useless. I don't get it. I've been seriously going crazy trying to figure out who thought this was a good idea. Does this world have a name in the book? Like, is it still no, called? No, it does not. Oh, okay. It's, <laughs> it's just, is it ever referred to as whatever, Daviat's nope. world? They refer to Darbeck, which is the country of those islands, uh -huh. and they refer to the different island names, but never the world as itself. Interesting. Yeah, just Daviot's world. It's like Beekman's world or whatever. <laughs> yes, just like that. Oh, man. So... 
I'm not a cartographer, but I would love if any of our listeners can figure out what the heck this map is about. Like, if there's a reason that I don't understand not knowing maps as to why they would put a smaller version of the exact same map inside the map, please, I'm begging you, write in, tell me the answer. I'm freaking out over this. It's been bugging me the entire time I'm reading this thing. Every time I open the book and I pass that, I'm like, why? Well, it kind of seems like the reverse, like the little inset has less information than the big map does. It, it, it does, because so, it's smaller, which right. makes sense. Because they have the name of all the cities or whatever on the big map, but they don't on the tiny little map. So maybe that's supposed – maybe it's just reversed. Maybe the big map is supposed to be like – But then it's not zoomed in any further. It's no. just a big – it's like it's just <laughs> the same – It has the cities, exa- but it has the cities in it. Yeah, but why not just not have the smaller, less helpful I, map? I don't know. Maybe in case you wanted to tear it out of the book and take it with you on your travels. <laughs> <laughs> Where? It's a travel map. Davio's world. <laughs> I don't know. I was, just, I was just trying to be helpful. <laughs> you were not, uh, but I appreciate the effort. Already, before I read word one of this book, I'm already very confused and a little upset. <laughs> oh man! So that is the beginning, and now we're going to discuss part one of the book. There, it's a book in four parts. Part one is called The Gathering Storm. So it begins as all fantasy books are mandated to begin with a young boy in a fishing village of very little renown. (laughs) Mm -hmm. He's just a normal boy in a fishing village. And the first thing you notice about this book, it is wordy as heck. It is so wordy. And it just sort of goes on and on with these sort of descriptions of things that are Paragraphs long to describe just a simple scene. Like, I stand next to a guy and he had a sword. And it's like 15 pages of that. And there's a reason this book is 600 pages long, when it could be half that, probably, with a good editor. It's like the descriptions of walking in Lord of the Rings. (laughs) Yes. I mean, it's very much, very much like that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I'm sorry to jump into the writing, but I just had to get that out of the way. Daviot is a young boy. It's all told in first person. He's 12 years old, living in a fishing village called Whitefish, because creativity. <laughs> well, he doesn't have a name for the world, so he's not going to come <laughs> right? up with a better name for the village. Oh, uh, well, you know, one for the other, who knows. And the first whole section of this book, all part one, is basically just backstory of the entire world, but kind of not. That was <laughs> made a lot of sense. Thank you for clearing that no, up. I appreciate like- it. <laughs> It's the lore that the people have of the world, which may not be the true lore, if that makes sense. So it's like all we're learning his history that he learned with him, like we're a student in his school. But he's also learning new things that the world is not like, oh, there's conspiracies and whatnot. So everything you learn in this is kind of also not entirely true. So unreliable narrator. I mean... Kind of. Yeah, basically. So there's apparently some big struggle between the people of... Darbeck, the Dar, and the people of On, uh, or On Feshang. Again, I'm going to mispronounce so many things in this book, so get ready. Okay. At first, we're not really aware of what this animosity is, just that there are these things called Kohlrabi Knights that come through these giant airships. Knights. Basically, Zeppelins or like blimps. Knights, like K-N-I-G-H-T-S. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And Kohlrabi, with the obligatory apostrophe in the middle of the word, because <laughs> fantasy book. Uh-huh. And apparently, the on just every 50 years or so, will send a bunch of fleets to invade Darbeck from the sky. They're called the, the Sky Lords. 
they are very much like the boogeyman of this world. Like, you know, the mothers will tell the kids, behave, or the or the kohrabi will get you kind of thing. Do they have a reason that they send them every 50 years? Do we get into that later? We, we do. We get to that later, <laughs> and it is bonkers, but sure. And the whole idea is they come en masse, they're greatly feared, they never actually manage to do any permanent damage. There are these chain of islands called the Sentinels, which are supposed to guard the continent, the land of Darbeck from the on. And the first chapter opens with a single airship making its way over Whitefish Village. Do the, so You said the islands protect them? Well, they're supposed to be like people or, or stations so or So people towers. on the islands protect the islands themselves do not protect well, no, them. No, the islands are not there, <laughs> but they're, yes, the islands are it's called the Sentinels to be used as a bulwark defense against the sky invading on. Okay. I just wanted to make sure the islands weren't like sentient or something. <laughs> you never I mean, know. <laughs> fair question. Fair question. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll try to be more clear in the future. It is fantasy, so anything goes. Absolutely. You're right. I apologize. I will be more clear. I will not make any assumptions. So anyway, there is a boat, a sky boat, that's what they call them, that comes across the water at the wrong time. So it's out of season, out of the cycle. And everyone in Whitefish Village gets very scared, and all the, the children and the women flee, and the men assemble on the beach with, you know, the swords, where Daviot slips away from leaving with the other children and sticks behind with his father to stand on the beach and face the invading on the, the Kohlrabi Knights. Okay. And it goes on for several pages describing them standing on the beach, watching the thing, the dread, and the boat just floats away. It just passes over them and doesn't land. Nothing happens. Literally nothing happens. That's very anticlimactic, thanks. It is. And again, they spend paragraphs describing like his feeling of the blades and his jealousy of the sword and his feelings of fear and no, bye boat. Just float away. Not today. So that was weird. But what that triggered was while the men and the women were fleeing, one person went to the nearest keep to go get the alder, the person in charge, to say, hey, send the, the war band, send the militia down here. There's a boat coming our way. And so eventually the war band arrived with a mage. There are mages in this world. And she starts talking to you know the people of the village as they arrive. And they say, oh, the boat flew away. I guess we'll just stay long enough to get a drink and then we'll head on back. And she starts talking to Davio. She asks him, oh, do you remember what it was like standing on the beach? And he starts describing it for her what was happening and everything in very great detail. And apparently she sees within him a special ability because, again, fantasy book. Is this the beautiful blind mage or is that coming later? Much later. Okay. We are, we are, we are oh, so far from that. <laughs> Her name is something I do not remember because she is not mentioned for several hundred pages after I finished that first chapter. So let me see if I can go back and find <laughs> what the heck her name is. Uh, it's not really important. I was like, is it the relevant if she's no, not around for I mean, 300 she pages? might come back. I, I, I don't remember. She might come back. A lot of people sort of go away and then come back abruptly for some reason. Well, if you have 600 pages, why not? <laughs> yeah, apparently. Uh, I don't know her name still because they just call her the Commer Mage, and I, I'm not going to be looking too hard to find it. The Common Mage? Commer. C-O-M-M-U-R. Again, don't know what that means. Okay. She is talking to Davio and says, hey, you have a very good memory. I think you might be a mnemonicos, which when I was 13, I said, what's a mnemonicos? <laughs> Hopefully, in the beginning of this book, next to the map, there's a definition for what mnemonicos means, which is a Greek word, which means memory. So, cool. Is that the only definition? 
that's on the page? Well, no, there's two definitions. There's one for pneumonicos and one for mnemonic. So pneumonicos is defined as Greek from nymnon, mindful, from menastai, to remember, or <laughs> mnemonics. Noun, the art and practice of improving or aiding the memory, a system of rules to aid the memory. So thank you for that. That helps. Especially when you're 13. You're right. Yeah, I appreciated that. And so she tells him that I can see with you the gift to become a rememberer, a mnemonicos. And Davio's like, what's a mnemonicos? I want to be a fighter. I want to find the warband and defeat the Karabi knights and be a big hero. Because, again, fantasy novel, kid has aspirations. <laughs> they always do. And the mage says, the rememberers, those who keep all our history in their heads. Without them, our past should be forgotten. Without them, we should have no history. And at this point, I'm thinking, where the hell are the books? <laughs> Why do you have to have special magic people remember everything? I mean, can't you write this stuff down? They have written language. They have words. Did no one ever think about writing a book and putting things into paper? Don't a lot of cultures like value storytelling, though, over book writing? Oh, I get it. I get it that, you know, sure, the oral history, Greeks, yada, yada, yada. But also, this is a medieval society. At least it's, you know, your standard fantasy medieval setting, swords and sorcery kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And they had writing. They had scrolls. I don't understand why they make these people storytellers, bards. I mean, fine, have storytellers and bards, but why not also have books? Because magic. <laughs> okay. It just seems like such a convoluted reason to make these people the keepers of all their history. And it seems like, oh, you're 12. You're going to learn every bit of history forever and keep it all in your head. And without it, our entire history dies. And that seems like a very bad system. Yeah, I'd assume most people eventually go over to writing. There's a reason for that. <laughs> and Davio's like, well, okay, I guess I could be one, but if I don't like it, can I be a warrior instead? And she's like, sure, whatever. You go to the college in a, in a city called Durbeck. <laughs> sure, Durbrecht. whatever. <laughs> yeah, she's like, yeah, go to Durbeck. The first year, you're there. It's like a trial year. And if they don't like you or you don't like it, they kick you out or you can leave. That's pretty much all he needs to convince him to go. But he's only 12, so he has to wait four years until he can do that. So we introduce this whole thing, say, hey, you can be a rememberer. Here's the plot. And then we say, but all right, but four years later. So we have to spend the next four years just waiting around in the book for him to be old enough to actually start the adventure that he was called to at the beginning of the book. Does stuff happen in the four years, or is it just like four years later? He, he writes about a lot of stuff happening. None of it's important. <laughs> okay. He talks about his lessons with the Mantis, which is the local priest of the church. So there's a religious cast in this book as well. The Mantis is like the local priest, and they talk about how there's, you know, they used to worship the three gods, whose names I don't remember, because again, I don't care. And... Now they worship the one god. That was cool. I mean, sure, that's very much blunt on the nose, not very subtle. Pretty much it. it he just talks about lessons with the mantis, and I don't really get it. And he's like very impatient to go on. He says, and I can't wait another couple of years, and he keeps going for every like pages and pages for the whole first chapter is him just waiting to become a person who's going to start his journey to becoming a rememberer. Does any of that stuff help build his character or come back later or add to the plot or the world? Again, there's some, some background. He talks about you know, leaving his family and you know, he's very impatient to go. And the short answer is not really. I mean, it fleshes out the world a little bit, but it's very, very slow. And so at last, he comes to his coming of age ceremony. At 16. At 16, yeah, okay. like a bar mitzvah but a little later. And the mage, whose name I have now, 
Her name is Reckon, so remember that for next time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and her bodyguard, Andyert, who is A-N-D-Y-R-T, Andyert, is her bodyguard, and he's the warrior who sort of inspired Davio to want to be a warrior. So now he's waffling between fighting and learning. And they come back for his coming of age ceremony, and they all get on a boat, and they go up the around the coast to the nearest city, the keep where they all live, so that he can then go from there on to the big city of Durbrek to start his learning. Good. I'm glad he got there. Yeah. The first chapter is, hey, the book is starting. <laughs> How long is the first chapter? It's like... 32 pages. So they sum up four years in 32 pages. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. There is something I want to highlight, though, is I feel like the author had like a word a day calendar because <laughs> he's constantly throwing in these weird vocabulary words and not always in ways that make sense. <laughs> so at the very end of the first chapter when he's about to leave, he's he says this as he's getting ready to get on the boat and leave his family and his village behind. I think that sometimes there comes a precise moment, a fragment of time crystallized, trapped forever in the alembic of our internal eye that tells us all when we were chose our path through life. So what is the alembic of the internal eye? I don't know. Nobody knows. An alembic, <laughs> I looked it up because, again, I had to, is a, is a still. It's like a small copper still used to distill alcohol or liquids with a little pressure vessel on it. How do you get a memory crystallized trapped in a still? I don't know what that means. Like, what does it mean to trap something in a still? Does it, like, get caught? It doesn't make any sense. I think that metaphor, I was very confused. Maybe it's a creation of... What a still does? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so how is it trapped in the still, though? Trapped I, forever in the still of our internal eye. I don't. I don't know the answer to that, Sam. <laughs> I know. I was. This is the most confused I was since I saw the map. <laughs> and it only took thirty pages. <laughs> <laughs> so this book is. A lot of that kind of thing. A lot of the sort of weird metaphors and weird vocab words that feel like he's, I don't know, maybe he legitimately has a really impressive vocabulary and is just naturally loquacious like that. <laughs> I know, I had to do it myself just to prove it. But maybe he's also just showing off. I don't know. Either way, it's kind of really noticeable. I'm assuming his metaphors make sense to him. Okay, great. Maybe his map does too, but to the rest of us, not helpful. <laughs> All right, chapter two. Chapter two, here we come. 16 and living the life. All right, so this is the fish out of water chapter. <laughs> you can just name each one some stereotypical fantasy title. I absolutely could. First chapter, introduction of boy going on hero's journey. Chapter two, fish out of water. So he goes to the city which I do not remember the name of. Oh, no, I was wrong. Chapter one doesn't mean he goes. He just agrees to go to the city in chapter one. Chapter two, I he's still he at home. I thought he agreed when he was 12. <laughs> that's, that's right. Chapter one ends when he was 12. Oh, and then it jumps to then the next one. Oh, I was, I was, I was so, I compressed it all in my head because I, I didn't remember it taking so freaking long. <laughs> I'm sorry. My apologies to everyone who's listening. I made a goof. Chapter one, it ends with him actually agreeing to become a mnemonico. So it's 32 pages of him getting to the point to agree to go on the journey. And then chapter two is everything leading up to him actually going on the journey. That's actually far worse. It is so much worse. Oh my God, what happened? Oh yeah, now he's all talking about his education with the 
Mantis. And here's where we get some background history of the world. There was apparently a time long ago when everyone lived, all his people lived up north in the other continent called Tartarus. I think Tartarus is a real place. Somewhere. (laughs) Yeah, I I may be wrong. All right, hold on. I'm going to look this up because... (laughs) This is vitally important. We need to know. Yeah, Tartarus is a place, according to Plato's Gorgias, souls are judged after death. But it is a place. Which is just weird because it stands out against all the made-up nonsense of everything else. Apparently, all his people lived up in the Tartarus... And they were unhappy up there because they were preyed upon by dragons who ate them. And that was bad. <laughs> yeah, it would be. <laughs> it would be. So eventually they migrated south to Ur-Darbek and tried to settle in there. Is Ur-Darbek different than regular Darbek? It's Ur of Darbek, <laughs> which I believe means north in this context. <laughs> okay. North of Darbek. Okay. Which is weird because there's no other continent named Darbek. Darbek is the two continents, Dragon Neck and... Kellenbeck. Why isn't Dragonbeck where the dragon people are in Ur-Darbeck part of Dar- I don't know. Again, the map is nonsense, and I hate it. <laughs> Tell us more about your real feelings. <laughs> I would spend this entire podcast <laughs> ragging on that map. You know I would. You would. I absolutely would. But we should move on before we run out of time. I got so much left to get through. <laughs> so they moved to Ur-Darbeck. And they started putting out sacrifices of sheep and other livestock to try to, you know, appease the dragons. And eventually Can they, they appease them? Are they like, are they dragons that are kind of like sentient? Can they be appeased? Oh, we'll, we'll get to that. Okay. <laughs> it's not like they're just like feeding them and hoping they're not hungry anymore. They're like literally. That's definitely part of it. So but they're appeasing the god dragons. Got it. They start learning magic here and eventually learn how to create what are called the chains, which they transform animals into people, basically. How do they learn magic? So they just like pick it, it up happens. on the side of the just road? Happens. Yeah, <laughs> they just start learning. They start getting born with magic and they start learning magic. You know, it just happens, Danielle. They're born with the gifts. Okay. Well, I didn't realize that was a thing, but okay. Yeah, no, apparently it <laughs> happens. The mages started turning animals into people-like things called the changed. So they're basically people, but with slight features that make them slightly resemble animals. So like dogs or horses. So they they look just like people, but they have maybe the eyes of a dog. Is it like the beast person that's mentioned in the cover? Open whatever the page. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) Okay. It's coming together. They make them and they use them as sort of bait to to get the dragon to leave them alone. Because they're like offering them up as like human sacrifices? Yeah, basically. <gasps> That's not nice. It's not nice. <laughs> and okay, okay, I gotta read this for you. This is the mantis instructing Daviot about the history of their world. So of the dawn time he spoke, when the wanderer kings came down out of the unknown north into the forgotten country and there encountered the dragons. He told me of the dragon masters, which I'll get to in a moment, and their magic that bent the ferocious flying creatures to their will. The witch he carefully explained, was the first gift of the god. The second was the magic that enabled the creation of the changed. And when I questioned, innocently enough, the morality of such an action, the mantis bade me still my heretical tongue. So, again, wordy. But, in essence, shut up, kid. God wants it that way. <laughs> Were the sheep not working? Like, they had to, <laughs> they had to so, give up, like, things that knew? Although this isn't mentioned here... Another thing I have to worry about this book is we learn this, and then about 100 pages later, we'll learn more about that. Okay. And more details about it when he gets to the school. But I have questions now, Sam. I have questions now. (laughs) Well, so did I, and I didn't get them answered in this point of the book, so neither are you. seems wildly unfair when you already know all the answers. Welcome to my world. You must suffer with me. (laughs) Fine. 
continue. There were dragon masters, apparently. Then the people decide to leave Ur-Darbek and come to Dragon Neck, which has no dragons and therefore <laughs> is poorly named. And they encountered a people there called the An who were already living on this continent. And they started pushing them out and pushing them south. And eventually they drove all those people out of the continent and they all left to go to the islands of the An. And so the thinking is the An were none too pleased with being exiled from their homeland and they're sending the skyboats back as a way to try to reclaim their... You know, that seems kind of fair. I'm sort of on the On side. (laughs) I know. I'm very much on the On side. This is a book where I kind of hate everybody in it. (laughs) Those are the best books. (laughs) Everyone's kind of a jerk. And of course, because Aviot's a super special boy, he's the one who has all the moral awakenings of, oh, maybe we should be the, maybe we're the villains. Maybe the on have a point. Maybe we shouldn't feed the change to dragons or whatever. Nobody questioned that ever. Nobody was like, they're kind of like humans. <laughs> no, apparently no one else does. So he's the super special one, the chosen one who has all the moral feelings. <laughs> the only one with morals. That's a hard road to hoe. <laughs> it very much is. All right, let's just get through the rest of this chapter because it's very boring. The only thing that does happen in this chapter is more boats come across. So clearly the Sentinels are not holding them back and they're coming out of season, which is weird. And it's very concerning. Everyone's very concerned that the boats are coming when they shouldn't be coming and that the Sentinels aren't working. And clearly the On are growing in power or they're weakening in power. And, you know, it's all very scary. Right. Magic islands are failing. Yes, exactly right. And this is perhaps my favorite line of the chapter. I just have to read it to you. So he's talking about when he's ready to attain his manhood and leave. And he says, When the time came, it was very hard, nor is it a time on which I care to dwell over long, and so I tell it brief. And then he proceeds for the next seven pages to tell us about it. <laughs> very briefly. <laughs> I hated that. It's I like really how I tell that. stories. <laughs> In brief. <laughs> Let me tell you something for the next 20 minutes. <laughs> it's basically that. Yeah, exactly that. This is my. This is brief. I don't want to know what long was because shoot me. <laughs> Well, Long was apparently 30 pages to get through the age of 12. All right. So finally, finally, they all leave up the river. I swear I'm I'm not just skipping over things to censor this. I literally don't remember what happened in that chapter besides those two things because I don't think any of it's important. <laughs> Somebody's going to write it and they're going to be like, that was the most important chapter of the whole book. <laughs> they're welcome to do that. My brain power is limited. I am not a mnemonicos. I cannot remember everything I read with perfect clarity. So I got to make choices. Clearly, when you're trying to find this book, it was all, I don't know, it's a fantasy book about a thing with some people. <laughs> it is the most generic. I mean, try to explain this book. I try to Google fantasy book about dragons. Not going to help. <laughs> and mages. Uh, every fantasy book? <laughs> 2,650,000 results. <laughs> oh, easily. Easily. It was, it was, it was a nightmare. So they come to the city of Camber, where he meets the Alder, who is the local dude in charge. They don't really talk about the politics of the world, if it's, and I don't really care about them either anyway, so it's fine. You don't care a lot of, about a lot of stuff in this book. <laughs> I, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to rag on the book too much. But it is so slow, the first several chapters. Like, this first section is all pure backstory and we meet so many people i mean they might be come back later but if they do they come back like 200 pages later and i no longer care 
<laughs> right? I mean, I, I can't remember one dude they mentioned for a couple of pages who then comes back later at the very end of the book. It's, it's like one of those mystery novels where like the killer is the one guy they mentioned in the first two pages and you never see him again until the very end of the book. Uh-huh. And I just, I don't have time for that. You don't have time for that. I have time to read 600 pages, but I don't have time for the rest of this nonsense. <laughs> Look, Danielle, I'm doing this for you. I'm doing this for our listeners. <laughs> and again, I, I the book is fun enough if you're just sort of reading it casually and you can skip a lot. You can skim this book and get a lot of good stuff out of there without having to read it very closely. Well, you've read it three times now, so it must be okay. I'm not complaining. Like, it's fun. But boy, it is a, a slog at some points. So, he met the elder. He met the alder. Alder. Not elder. <laughs> yeah. Very you sure he didn't thing. say elder earlier? <laughs> I'm, I mean, I don't know what you heard, but it was definitely alder. <laughs> well, they're both trees. Is there an elder tree? Elder. Elder. What? what? Okay, we're done here. Uh, (laughs) Moving on. This is my book to talk about, Danielle. I'm not here for your tree talk. But you are here for my interjections. That's a valid question. Is there an elder tree? Or is it just an alder tree? Am I, like, conflating the two? Are they even spelled the same? I don't know. Alder is A-L-D-E-R. Elder, I assume, would be with an E. Let me, let me look it up, because of course, everything is spelled in fantasy way, which means not the same. A-E-L-D-O-R is how they spell A-E-L-D-O-R. it in this book. A-E-L-D-O-R. Yeah. Eldor. 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 I don't know. Again, I'm not going to say anything you can say it however you want. You're the person telling the story. That's right. He meets the Eldor. He has two sons. Their names, I think they're going to come back. One is named Sauron, so... Very Lord of the Rings. And the other one is named Thadwin. And I believe they do come back later in the book. Because I have some vague memory of them coming back, but I don't remember how. And so, we'll see. Clearly very important. <laughs> well, I don't remember much of this book. So this is the fish out of water scene. He's like entranced by the moderately sized city compared to his village in Whitefish. He gets on a horse for the first time and his butt is sore. That's a big deal. <laughs> and he spends a lot of time in a bath soaking his sore butt. That's cool. As, as one does. He picks up a sword for the first time, briefly. No, 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 he doesn't. They just, he watches other people fence with swords briefly. That's cool. He goes to a haunted forest. That's pretty cool. <laughs> so there's a forest outside the town where there was a giant battle between the Karabi knights and the warbands. And, and it's haunted by the dead ghosts of the slain. Yeah, yeah. There, you got it. Nailed it. Excellent. I could write this book. Yeah, I mean, literally, <laughs> you could. <laughs> But the the previous Alder, Elder, Eldor, whatever you want to call him, from you know, when that battle happened, to cut the wood should be left alone and to grow wild as monument to the honor and ferocity of their fallen foes and kindred spirit. You mean the wood as a as a whole, like the forest? Yeah, I not, thought you not meant like, a- like the pieces of wood, and I was like, okay. <laughs> The woods, the forest, the, the it, wooded glen. Well, you can't burn the wood, all right? <laughs> Does it release the spirits? <laughs> so they go to the wood for a bit, and they say, oh, it feels spooky. Then they leave. <laughs> That's the whole plot. <laughs> oh, it's spooky. Let's go. <laughs> That's pretty much it. They go. The, he goes with Andyert, who's teach him how to ride a horse. Well, not teach him. He just puts him on a, on a horse, and his butt gets sore. <laughs> he learns how to ride a horse later. <laughs> that was super helpful. Andyert. <laughs> Jeez, Andyert. <laughs> Andyard is not helpful. He is funny, but not helpful. So they go there. That's the most exciting that happens in this chapter. His butt gets sore. He meets a lot of the change. He notices all the change who are around. Like they go to the docks and they see the the bull-like change, the Taurus ones who are loading the ships. So they're like the big hulking dudes. And then the servants in the house are usually cat or dog-like. And again, they don't look like cats or dogs. They just look like people with the slight features that make them seem kind of 
slightly different if you look closely at the eyes or like the shape of the head. So they're using them as servants and they're also giving them to dragons? That was back then when they came over. And so now they're just in a subservient population? Yeah, now they're just slaves. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's charming. <laughs> yeah, now they're just slaves. Just straight up slaves. I guess it's good they're not getting eaten by dragons anymore. There's a lot of problematic language where they call the change the change and the regular people are the true men. So, you know. <laughs> it's very on the nose. Again, the book is not subtle, <laughs> I would say. And Davio Tall, like, oh, they seem like normal people. Maybe, you know, I don't get why they're all looked down upon. And he tries to talk to them and they don't want to talk to him. Eventually, he learns that as they get old, when they're too old to work anymore, they have the option of either surviving on the handouts of their kin, their other changed brethren, or of crossing the river going back up to Erdarbeck to live with the wild changed, where uh, presumably the dragons still eat them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but no one's been up there, so no one knows. It's like a utopia up there. It's like the best place to be. Danielle, have you read this book before? <laughs> no, but it seems like that's what would happen. Yeah, nailed it. You're, you're away from all of the crazy people who are trying to make you slaves. Like, of course it's better up there. <laughs> kind of. No spoilers again, because this is one of the few things I do remember about this book. But there is something going up there, and nobody's going to talk about it, and you're kind of right. Yay. Dragon. You're more right than not. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, eventually, the boat comes to pick him up, and he takes him up to the river to go to the city, Durbrecht, that has the College of the Nemonicos. Boy, let me see. I'm trying to find the book. I'm just trying to keep going. Blah, Can't blah, believe blah, blah, he hasn't blah. gotten to school yet. <laughs> Seriously, this is like if Harry Potter spent the first 12 chapters with him at the Dursleys after he got his letter saying, hey, come to Hogwarts, <laughs> but it'll be three or four years, so just chill out for a while. Enjoy the Dursleys in the meantime. Yeah, it's pretty much like, oh, maybe you should like, you know, do your backpacking around Europe for, you know, before you take your gap year, before you even start school. <laughs> I, actually, I'd read that. I'd read Harry Potter does a gap year. <laughs> gap year. Post Hogwarts. No, pre-Hogwarts Harry Potter does a gap year. <laughs> like, like, I'm going to be a wizard soon. Like <laughs> yes. I love it. He goes to like Amsterdam and you're like, so what are you doing in Amsterdam on your own? It's like, I'm going to gap year. I'm going to be a wizard soon. Like, oh, they're taking away those brownies. <laughs> Gosh. All right. Well, that was a better story. <laughs> <laughs> so he gets on the boat. The captain's kind of a, a jerk and is surly to him, but he's a fisherman's son. I forget. Where's the boat going again? I got sidetracked in my Direct brain. to the college. Oh, yeah, that's right. He gets to the captain. The captain has a bunch of bull changed on his <laughs> bull changed on his boat who are, you know, rowing it and tending it. And Davi tries to talk to them. They are surly. <laughs> Eventually, they stop to pick up someone else who's also going to the Nemonicos College. And his name is Pearden. And he's a nice dude, a tanner's son. And he gets very seasick. And that is sort of his character. <laughs> Just a seasick Danner's kid. <laughs> oh, man. You're going to love what happens to him. So, Pyridin, he gets on the boat. They have a little conversation. They have some fun. Eventually, they keep going up the river. They pick up another guy who is also going to the Monkos College. He is the son of an elder, so he's kind of the aristocrat. His name is Clayton. Is he a jerk? No, he's actually very nice. Oh, good. I'm glad that they yeah. didn't go with that trope. <laughs> yeah, he's like the third son. He's... Trying to say, like, well, what are my options the third so I can make a very poor marriage? My older brothers are going to get all the good stuff, so I'm going to become a Nemonicos. And he's very mischievous. So you have your basic triumvirate of people. You have the mischief maker, the timid one, and then the main character who is the sort of hero guy. Sounds like a good combo. We're ready for action. Except as soon as I get to the college, they immediately drop Puritan. He's barely mentioned again. <laughs> so that's fun. <laughs> So sad. Poor Pearden. 
Yeah, no, he's just irrelevant. And he's not mentioned again for several chapters. That makes me sad. We'll get back to him, I promise. All right, so they get to the city. Durbeck is a giant city. It overwhelms Daviot because, again, small fisher boy. They already get in trouble. They get to the docks, and Cleeton convinces him to go to a tavern to drink while they wait for their escort from the college. <laughs> that seems like a good idea. <laughs> it isn't. But Puritan stays behind as the timid one. And eventually the dean, I don't know what his actual name is. I just call him the dean because he's just like the dean in every 80s college movie where he's like the strict dude and they're the troublemakers. <laughs> and the dean shows up and is like, you should have been waiting. You're all in trouble. They take him to the president of the college. I don't know. Again, I don't remember the word is. The leader, whoever it is, the guy in charge. And they introduce themselves and they, and they say, hey, welcome to the college. Why don't you tell me a little bit what you remember from your journey? And during the journey up the river, they had seen one of the other skyboats had been blown up by the mages and had crashed on the banks of the shore. That was a big plot point you left out. I mean, they just saw another boat. They just saw some boats. They didn't do anything with it. They just passed it on the river and said, hey, that thing crashed. Let's keep going. Yeah, but it's obviously pertinent. <laughs> it's only pertinent in that the president asked them each to remember as much as they can about that scene. And of course, Daviot has the best memory. Of course. Yeah, so he's obviously the best of the new Nemonicos. He's a very special boy. Are there only like the three of them that are new? Apparently this semester, but there are a bunch of other people already at the college. There are say, oh. 15 kids at the school, and I think they all come at different times. It doesn't have like, you know, oh, orientations on the 3rd of May, and then if you're late, I think it's much more sort of laissez-faire than that. And it's like really small class sizes, apparently. Yeah, exactly. Okay. You have to have the gift, Danielle. I know, but I, I kind of assumed it'd be like a school, more of a school setting with like bigger classes. But it's a big college. I believe that. However, <laughs> that there'd be more than three. Anyway, continue. no, no, their class is not three. They they get mixed in with the other fifteen kids. Yeah, you know, I bet. Like, I imagine there'd be more than three new students. The, not, I don't not know. Today. It's made not up book. I was just <laughs> maybe they come on different days of the week, and you know, maybe they all came in like different times. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. If you don't know, I certainly don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I only read this book, Daniel. I don't remember any of it. <laughs> The big excitement thing that happens is oh, – I'll skip this chapter because I already got ahead. In chapter five, they encounter uh, the bully of the school, mm -hmm. whose name I don't remember. But he gets all up in Cleeton's business because Cleeton is the son of an elder and is therefore like, oh, you think you're better than the rest of us? And he's like, no, we're all just here to learn. And he's like, well, you are all hoity-toity. like, no, but don't, don't challenge me. He says, oh, I'll challenge you anyway because I'm a bully. That's what I do. And they go and fight. And he gets his the crap kicked out of him because Clayton knows martial arts, but having been trained to fight by, you know, an aristocratic upbringing. Yes, of course. And they get in trouble for fighting, him and Davio, because Davio helps out when his two cronies try to jump in to make the fight unfair. He knocks their heads together, literally. Does the other guy get in trouble too? He gets kicked very hard in the groin and ends up in the hospital. So I would say that's a pretty good uh, trouble for him. And literally, yes, he gets kicked in the groin. That is how the fight ends. Well, that's a good way to end a fight. <laughs> I mean, it, it certainly is effective. Yeah, that's how I would end a fight. And I'm not sure why that happened, why that was in there, but apparently now Clayton agrees to teach Davio to fight, even though they're both going to be taking martial arts classes next year. So, But clearly they need to know now, not next year, Sam. Apparently, and they start learning about the history of their world again, this point from the Nemonicos perspective, so not from the clergy perspective, which he got as a younger kid in Whitefish Village. He's now learning the history as they remember it. From the, from the history keepers. And it's basically the same thing we just talked about because I don't want to go over all again, but they came down from the north. They forced the on out. The honor ticked off and want their land back probably. And none of the honor ever taken alive. They always kill themselves if they're, you know, going to be captured. They fall on their swords. And Davio gets a reputation for being a stubborn kind of guy who challenges orthodoxy a lot because of course he does. Because he's the main character. 
That's what they do. Yes, exactly. I'm so far behind my notes. You're overthinking it. I just covered like three chapters in the last two minutes. Well, those are all the important plot points. You can skip the other stuff. <laughs> Literally, I could. Uh, let's see. <laughs> Here's what we learned about the history of them. As they were up in Ur-Darbek, eventually some of the people learned how to communicate with the dragons. And they became the dragon masters. They could talk to them and they convinced them, you know, hey, maybe don't eat us, eat the sheep instead. And they learned to ride them. And they lived with the dragons in their dragon castles, which is, I have to admit, a really awesome word. Dragon castles. How did that not get, like, how did they then end up having to give them the changed? Eventually, the dragons feel like there are too many of the humans. Like they're they're sort of keep reproducing, like rabbits kind of thing going on. They're like, well, like, screw this, we're gonna eat them. Yeah, they, and they start getting like they start having fun. It's like a sport to them, and they enjoy the taste. <laughs> kind of like the dragons. Yeah, they're kind of uh, kind of awesome. They have dragon castles. What's up to like? <laughs> and so people start blaming the dragon master, saying, "Hey, you guys are in league with the dragons, and you're not stopping them from eating us. What the heck's going on here?" And so eventually, they just leave behind that land, and the Dragon Masters are thought to be extinct. And Daviot has the very prescient thought that, hey, I bet dragons would be really good at fighting skyboats. Yeah, you think? Yeah, subtle <laughs> foreshadowing. <laughs> are the Dragon Masters really extinct? Because anytime something's like supposedly extinct, there's always like three of them left behind, or an entire colony of them left behind. Yeah, yeah. Or the <laughs> Have you read this book? <laughs> <laughs> or all the change are the Dragon Masters, or I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm going to be honest, Danielle, I believe uh, there are three or four Dragon Masters that we will find eventually. I'd imagine. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> so, again, the Dar come down out of Ur-Darbek into Dragonek, which, again, no dragons. That's why they came there. And they encounter the On for this one in the book. And in time, the On were defeated, made slaves, or banished. Not really treated very well, and maybe their grudge has some legitimacy to it. I think they're terrible people. They, like, fed them the change. They yeah. took over an entire population. <laughs> I don't feel bad I mean, for they them did at all. They basically did genocide. Yeah, And they awful. invented a whole new group of people to enslave. <laughs> they literally made people to make them slaves. Yeah. I'm with you. <laughs> Not cool, guys. Oh, yeah, here we go. Great. This is one of my favorite things. So this is Davio thinking about what had happened and learning the history. And he says, and he's thinking, this is sort of the internal monologue he's learning, that Columbeck was not then much populated. And as the sorcerers created even more change to perform the menial task, there was less need of on slaves. They were anyway a surly and secretive folk given to resentment and sly escape. <laughs> wonder why. I know. And this is our hero having that thought. So... Good dude, Daviot, <laughs> thinking that a race of people are surly, given to resentment, and sly escape. Does he know, like, he grew up or is growing up in that area, like, yeah. isn't mo aren't most of his opinions kind of formed by, like, what's going on around him? He doesn't necessarily know. Yes, that's true. I get that, that he's, but he's supposed to be, in every other regard, he's always like, oh, the change are our friends and, you know, people. So he's supposed to be the enlightened one. And just he just says that with not any sort of, like, they were considered to be sly. Like, they were, they are sly. Does he have any, like, change of mind later? I guess we'll find out. <laughs> so I thought that was weird and a little uncomfortable. But anyway, they drive him out, they're all coming back, and now the cycle is getting worse, and they're not having enough mages to go to the Sentinels. So the Sentinels are basically staffed by mages to fight off the on invaders. And it's at this point that I start wondering... Why don't they just use regular boats instead of sky boats? Right. Because 
again, looking at this map, because I can't stop looking at this map, they could just sail south of the Sentinels and then come up on the south of Kalambek and then just go up there without having to worry about the Sentinels and go around them. Why do they have to? F- and if they hit regular boats, they're not at the mercy of the world winds that make them so they can only come every 50 years. They could just come whenever they wanted to. So I, I really don't know why yeah. they use sky boats instead of regular boats. Is that ever addressed? <laughs> just continue to use sky boats? <laughs> I mean, maybe. Again, at this point in the book, you know as much as I do, which is not saying much. <laughs> so why sky boats? I don't know. And it's very weird. Because skyboats are cool. I mean, that's probably the answer. <laughs> so eventually, Daviot and his and his friends graduate to the second year and they decide to stay. And Cleeton, he had a room together with their own change servant named Urt. Mm-hmm. He is a dog servant. And Cleeton dismisses him because he's used to servants having grown up in a keep as an alder son. And Daviot starts talking to him and making friends with Urt and Clayton finds it very weird, and it's always mentioned in the book how weird and how much of a strain it puts on their friendship that he is talking to Ert, and Clayton is like, that's weird. It's like a person who's too fond of their pet dog. A lot of us talk to our pets, Sam. Take it with Clayton. He's the one who says it's bad. This is also a very weird sentence to be thrown out in the middle of the book, so they're talking about how they are taken up into the second year, and David's saying, uh, very few were expelled. And so he says, indeed, there were only three expelled during my time there, one for theft, one for the rape of a younger student, and one for a knifing. And that's... <laughs> Crazy what? I mean, yes, raping a younger student, please expel them. But also, what the heck? Just throw that out there <laughs> out of nowhere? And then, of course, it just moves on. Like, that's not even mentioned. I'm like, what is going on? Those are really intense reasons to get expelled. Yeah. I should also mention, all the mnemonicos are men. Mm-hmm. Because... They sort of lead an itinerant lifestyle. They travel. They sort of they're wandering storytellers. They're wandering bards, and that's considered no suitable role for a woman. Of course not. All right. Eventually, get their own room. He starts talking to Earth. The change, and he learns that even the the change have their own caste system, where the equine and bull bread are considered to be duller, and the cat bread and dog bread people are considered to be more of the like house servants, like the higher class slaves. Why would you cast yourself when you're thank already you. in thank a you, thank cast? Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's very weird. <laughs> That's a terrible idea. Well, I don't know why like, everybody in this world is terrible. Even the slaves are like, well, we're better slaves than those slaves. I'm sure that happens in real life. I mean... I'm sure it does too. It still doesn't make them any better. Like servants in a royal palace, you're like, you have higher up servants versus the... I, mean, I haven't seen Downton Abbey, but I presume they have a, a hierarchy yes, there. Yes, but like, just why? <laughs> why? Why is that necessary to include? I don't know. How can you overthrow your your government if you're in a caste system? Danielle, you may find that thing very much out soon. (laughs) So eventually, they come to a point where there's this summer festival, and he and Cleeton go out in the town. They are drinking. They start going to the brothels, and that's they spend a lot of time talking about the brothels and his reasons for going to brothels and his justifications for going to brothels. (laughs) (laughs) It's vitally important to the plot. Let me read this paragraph for you because... I don't understand it, and maybe you can enlighten me as to what's going on. I had first balked at the notion of purchasing a woman's favors, but I had met no one to satisfy the natural longings of a healthy young man, nor any desire to take that path some of our fellow students chose. I don't know what that path is. Either way, I find that sentence very uncomfortable. Is he talking about masturbation? In which case, why is going to a brothel prefer like less morally wrong than masturbation? Or is he talking about a homosexuality between the students at the college, and in which case, how is that a choice? Or rape? Is he talking about rape instead of paying for it? 
Oh, dear. That's even worse. Well, that was. That's kind of what it sounds like. <laughs> oh, man. Sorry. I didn't mean to make that darker. Uh, yeah. Wow. So he spends a lot of time sexually frustrated, he says, and eventually decided, what the heck, I'm going to go and get a prostitute. And Cleeton is paying for it all because he's the rich older son. So that's cool. And they have favorites there at the uh, brothel. So finally, 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 they're on their way to the brothel. It's late at night on the summer festival, and they see this student from the Mages College walking up the street in a hurry. Daviot is immediately stricken by her. He is immediately says, I'm in love with her. He's love at first sight type of thing. He knows definitely nothing about her, and he can see somehow that she's blind, but that she uses her power to see. Is she the blind mage person? She is the blind mage. <laughs> Woo, yeah. We got there eventually. <laughs> Yay. And he says... Somehow her gift lets her see, even though she's blind, and that's never elaborated on. How does he know that her gift lets her see? How can he just look at a person and say, oh, they're blind, but I can see they're working magic to see with their <laughs> magic gifts? I don't know. It's all very much just like, oh, yeah, of course I can tell that she's blind, but can somehow use her magic to see, which is a thing, apparently, you can do. A lot comes out of that. Yeah, that's a big, big thought. So he wants to go talk to her, but he has no excuse to go up to talk to her, and Clean's like, come on, our... our uh, our prostitutes are waiting, and lo and behold, Deus Ex Machina, three ruffian mariners accost the mage and are intent on raping her. And so it gives him the opportunity to step in and play the rescuing hero. And it reminds me of every like rom-com where the guy like sets up with his friends like, okay, you pretend to attack me and I'll fight you off. So it makes it look cool to the girl I'm with. Mm-hmm. Except it's real. Except and it's real, way scarier. <laughs> but it's like the exact same convoluted thing where it's like, oh, you just happen to be walking by just in time to stop the referee. so he and Clayton beat up the three would-be attackers and he gets to talk to the mage. Of course. And he's like, oh my god, you're so great. Wouldn't you think with mage powers, don't you think you could fend off some And they say that, attackers. but they step in anyway, because one of them touches her hair, and he's like, oh, that's a, that's a bridge too far. They touched her hair. Now I have to get in there. Boys are dumb. In this book especially. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no offense. Absolutely. And so eventually they get her name, and her name is one I cannot pronounce for the life of me. It's spelled... R-W-Y-A-N. Ryan? 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 Because the Ryan? It could be Ryan, but then why is the W in there? Because silent W. Why is there a K in knife? <laughs> because it used to be pronounced Kniff, Danielle, before we change the pronunciation. Keep up with etymology. There's lots of words like that. Why is written with a W? Because it goes W. <laughs> you don't say we're, we're written. <laughs> <laughs> that book was written. <laughs> you know, written. <laughs> we have a lot of silent letters. Just go with it. That's even a WR one. So RW. Like, <laughs> if it was RW, Ryan, that'd be fine. Maybe it's Ryan. Could be Ryan. Either way, I'm calling her Ryan. Okay. Cannot deal with that. You get to pick the rules on names. It's Ryan. We decided it's Ryan. We're because Ryan. I, we're Ryan. We're Ryan. We're Ryan because I can't figure out how to pronounce RW as a phoneme. I'm not going to figure it out. And so he escorts her to the end of the city of the block. And then she leaves to go about her business. And then he accompanies his friend to the brothel. <laughs> and what a story to tell your kids. You know, how'd you meet mommy? Well, I was on my way to see my favorite prostitute <laughs> when she was almost raped. And I beat up her rapers. And I went to go see my favorite prostitute, but, and this is a direct quote from the end of the chapter here, but all that time I lay with face, I saw Ryan's face. Well, at least he's staying true to his heart. 
<laughs> I mean, kinda. And it's really weird because now he's all like love struck over her. So he does finally pick a prostitute, though. Well, I mean, this was one he's been going to for a while. It's his favorite. Because oh, because the, the last thing you read, like we weren't sure if he was going to actually pick. Oh somebody. no, he does. This is so he he. I'm sorry, if I wasn't clear about that. He eventually got convinced to go and become you know visit the prostitutes and pick a favorite, and then on his way to see their favorite, that's when he encounters got it the love of his life, but decides. I think I'll still go to that prostitute. Well, I mean, to be fair, they're not together yet. Fair enough. But then he becomes all love struck, and Cleeton is very upset with him. He's like, you're so boring and moony, and all you do is whine about Ryan. And they agreed that they would meet up at a certain tavern when they both had time free, and they just have to go there and spend time at that tavern and hope that they run into each other. That's one way to do it. So he's yeah. in contact with the, the mage. No, no he's not. They just, before they parted, they agreed to meet up at this tavern got whenever it. they both have time off from their college. Okay, got it. He goes back to school and he's going to the tavern and still learning and still waiting to find Ryan and still learning all kinds of weird stuff. Like, there are two sentences that are very interesting. He says, first off about his feelings for Ryan, I wonder if it was not easier to be as the changed, governed not by alchemical processes of love, but by those simpler biological imperatives they inherit from their animal forebearers. Is that actual science? Like, is that established? No, he just says that. He's just assuming it? <laughs> He's like, oh, they don't feel love. They're just animal people. I'm like, I thought you were supposed to be the guy who's like the change for people. And now you're saying they're animal people with no ability to love? What the heck, dude? And there's never been any like animal-human crossbreeding or like relationships, love stories? I have no idea. I Maybe we'll find that out. That feels like a thing that would happen. And then he immediately says this. I visit Athea still, but less often, and in the way that a man visits the gymnasium to stretch and test his muscles. <laughs> she knew it and said nothing, even when at the height of our passion, I would sometimes cry out Ryan's name. I thought of Ryan. <laughs> I wanted Ryan. I spoke of Ryan. And uh, what do you want, a gold medal, dude? Gold star for visiting your prostitute less often while thinking of the person you love. The poor prostitute. <laughs> I know. I mean, she's getting paid either way, so what does she care? Yeah. But Unless she has feelings for him, in which case that's sad, but she probably doesn't. I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't. He's, he's definitely not worth it. And it's just such a weird, like, double standard, because I'm sure all the women in the book are allowed to visit prostitutes. <laughs> probably not. But they might, just because they don't do it publicly. I, I'm pretty sure it mentions at some point that Ryan was definitely a virgin when they first made love. So I'm pretty certain that that's that, – no, that doesn't happen. Yeah. So it's that weird sexist double standard about like, oh, men need to go to the gymnasium and stretch their muscles. And that's why it's okay for them to go to prostitutes. But the women don't really need any of that. But that happens a lot in fantasy novels. I know. It doesn't make it doesn't okay. doesn't make it right. No. I'm <laughs> just saying. And it's a pretty very common explicit thing. here. Like, he literally spends paragraphs justifying why this guy can go to a prostitute. Like, why are you making such a big effort to argument for, yeah, he should go to a prostitute. It's totally cool. I mean, if he wants to, it's okay. As long as she's consenting, who cares? <laughs> I just think it's I just think it's a weird thing to spend a lot of your book writing about. I agree. Maybe maybe he felt like it was gonna deter people from liking his character, so he felt like he had to. But why not it. just not have the prostitutes in there then? I don't know because clearly they it was a... met her out and about at a festival and not mention the prostitutes. I don't know. Maybe it was going to go somewhere again. and it didn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. It just doesn't. Eventually, they meet up at the tavern again and they get in contact and they 
Davia told like, I love you, I love you, I love you so much. And he's like, I don't know if I love you yet because she's smart and not an idiot. I have to get to know you better before I can declare I love you. He says a sentence when he first confesses that he loves her. He's waiting in apprehension for her response and says, she could not see my face save through the gift of her magic, which doesn't clarify anything for me. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't mean anything to me either. So... Does she see his face or not? Like, he's, he's basically, she can't see the expression of apprehension on my face. But you just said she can see with magic. So what does the, what can she see? What? I don't, I don't understand. How do you know mean? what she can see? <laughs> and I totally, how does he know what she can and can't see with magic? Yeah, they clearly haven't talked about it. No, they literally just met at the tavern. He's like, I love you. She's like, well, you, maybe not. <laughs> so it's all very confusing and all very hand wavy. That was your, your mage voice. <laughs> <laughs> Every time she says something, you should say it in that voice. Okay. <laughs> I'm Ryan. Ryan. Sounds like Mickey Mouse. Uh-huh. All right, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to get sued. <laughs> oh, gosh, okay. okay, well, nope, I'm not doing that. <laughs> anyway, eventually he decides to stop going to the prostitutes by saying, I was determined to remain faithful to my love, which Clayton could not at all comprehend. So eventually he decides to stop going to prostitutes, and they're never mentioned again. Well, good on him, I guess, if he's going to be in a committed relationship. <laughs> eventually he works out a way with Ert to communicate with Ryan. So Ert, there's like a network of the change. They can all talk to each other. And so she has a change in hers as a servant for her. And he has a change. So they pass notes back and forth and conspire to meet together and to make love and all those, you know, daily, daily things. And the one thing he doesn't talk about is when they first have sex. He basically says, that's a beautiful and private thing. And I won't talk about it here. <laughs> but I'll tell you in detail about my prostitute. Yeah. And I'm like, well, you know. Finally, the brevity works. <laughs> so eventually, the skyboats stop coming for a while. There's like a whole year where the skyboats are not there. Everyone's like, oh, we did, did it. We defeated the the, the, the on. We won. They <laughs> won by doing nothing? Did they like actually yeah. do anything? I mean, they shot them down. They killed off all the ones who landed. Like, they kept on blowing up the boats that would attack them. They did that. They they basically, it was, They were coming early, right? It was yeah, they're coming early. And then they stopped coming for a year and like, oh, we did it. We won. But they're still on track to come at the 50-year mark. Uh, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. There's, like, you know, speculation that this was, like, their last push before, you know, they put all their magic into getting them there early on a surprise attack and it failed. <laughs> Just messing with them. Yeah. But, of course, the Mnemonicos don't believe that. And Davio doesn't believe that. And he realizes that part of the, the Mnemonicos role besides storyteller and rememberer of all history is also as a propaganda machine to sort of calm the nerves of the people. Mm -hmm. And then... During another festival, the winter one, there's a big invasion. A bunch of skyboats come through, and everyone's called in to fight. Like they, they hear them coming. The Sentinels send out word that the bunch of skyboats got past them and to prepare for an invasion. These guys are really bad at stopping the skyboats. You know what? They are. <laughs> and so the Mnemonicos College is conscripted, and they go out to fight. And Davio's all like, first really excited to fight. And then he comes really scared to fight when he sees the boat coming up overhead. And one gets shot with a ballista and crashes into the wall. And that like scares the crap out of him. He becomes a very scaredy cat kind of guy at that point. He's like, I don't want to fight. And he drops the sword and then his friend Clayton picks up and gives it to him. And they're all running to get down off the collapsing wall when a fire globe is thrown from one of the boats and strikes Puritan, 
who this is the first time he's been mentioned in like three chapters and is immediately engulfed in flames and dies. <laughs> so sad. I liked him. <laughs> well, yeah, because you knew the least about him. <laughs> That's a thing for me. <laughs> they, they introduce this character on the boat as a seasick companion, and they bring him along to the college for like two chapters. They they talk about him. They forget about him just so they can kill him off later to give the battle some gravitas. That's sad. Poor guy yep. with no backstory. Nope. Yeah, he was a Tanner. Tanner's son. And so they all fight, and eventually Davio encounters a group of Korabi, and all of them fight about him, and it's very bloody. He gets wounded, cut in the leg, and loses a lot of blood, and ends up in the hospital, recovery tent, whatever they want to call it. He gets a fever, and he's out for like three weeks, and when he comes to, he's like, where's Ryan? Where's Ryan? And eventually he learns from Ert that Ryan had been sent to the Sentinels, along with every other able sorcerer, to lend their power to the sentinels because clearly they're not doing enough as it is clearly they're not doing well and that's the end of the chapter the end of the section i mean not just the chapter but the entire part one the entire part is, one you made it to the end somehow that it was, was a ride it's still it was like 150 pages of hey i'm going to the city i met the city i met a girl she's gone <laughs> he's gone the end <laughs> pretty much <laughs> and so that is Kind of an anticlimactic ending is they fight, they have a battle, and then she, she leaves while he's got a fever. Did the on win? Did we know that yet? They didn't win. They got defeated. Got defeated. Okay. That that next invasion also was defeated because Somehow. apparently <laughs> their tactics haven't changed from send boats over there and maybe let them get shot down a bit. Yeah, it seems like they just keep doing the same thing every 50 years. They'd get really good at killing them. I'm no general. I'm no tactician. But- Again, A, go south around the Sentinels, or north, I don't know, or maybe also land sooner and, you know, go across the land instead of trying to fly to the cities where they can shoot you down from the air and they can see you coming. Just a thought. <laughs> you know, maybe do like small infiltration, build up a resistance. I don't know. They seem like better ideas. Maybe they're just using it to like keep them busy while they're actually doing a bigger plan. Well, this is interesting because it's actually mentioned that the change, like Ert don't seem afraid. Like, they're not worried about the the invasion. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, there's something going on with the changed, for sure. Uh, oh, absolutely. 100%. But what will that be? You'll probably have to wait until part... Probably three or four to figure that out, <laughs> because it's not going to be in part two. 400 pages later, we'll know. So what do you think of part one, though? Do we have, like, more character development for... What's his face? The mate? Why can't I remember his name? Davio? Davio. <laughs> Like Dvorak. No, it's wrong. Dvorak, yes. <laughs> oh, gosh. Totally different person. <laughs> uh, one's fictional. <laughs> yeah, the other's not. I don't know. It just doesn't seem like he's. Is it like. Is there more character development in the actual book? I mean, kind of. I mean, no. Because it's mostly just him talking about the history of the land without any, like, opinion on it. Mm -hmm. And most of the opinions are things like, hey, the dragons would be good allies. Hey, maybe the changed aren't so you know, animalistic. Maybe they have thoughts. Hey, maybe the on are kind of right to be mad at us for taking the land. I like his weird thing about the change, being animals, therefore not experiencing any kind of human emotion. But still thinking they deserve, like, friendship. It's a very weird and dichotomy. he seems to be friends with the, uh, the one yeah. that's helping them out, or whatever. Yeah, he makes friends with Ert. Yeah, yeah. Ert. 
So that's an interesting thing to think that they don't have any kind of human emotion and yet be friends with something that doesn't have any human emotion. It does say human emotion. He said love. They don't experience love. Well, that's like the one emotion they don't experience. Everything else is up for grabs. Look, I'm not in his head, despite the fact that I'm literally reading <laughs> no, his internal monologue. Person. Yes, you are. I'm literally in his head. I still don't understand what his thought process is. <laughs> But he seems very much like, oh, he's the one who's the best in Monaco. So he is the one who has, you know, the thoughts of people and animals. Like, he's the very special chosen one in all instances and has no, like, ambition or character development about, uh, other than that, aside from falling in love at first sight with some random mage and then taking a few years to stop seeing the prostitutes. This was, like, three years, It was, by the like, way, a few that- years? I was like, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, like, three years we covered. Oh, I didn't realize that he was with her for that long. He was there for like two years, yeah. Oh. Ah. <laughs> and only th- yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, again, there's very little that happens stretched out over a lot of time and a lot of pages. How many years does this book cover, do you know? Give or All take. together? Yeah. No, no idea. Okay. It's covered so far from being 12 years old up to 20-ish. I think he's 19 or 20 now. Interesting. So, yeah, it's been eight years. So you said that this book was actually really slow, but he's gotten through eight years and 130-odd pages. It can be both slow and <laughs> temporally fast. Like, But in that eight and a half years, very little has happened. That's true. And apparently, whatever, three of those years were him just waiting to go to school. Four years waiting to go to school. <laughs> you said he was 16. Did he, he was go? 12 when we met him, so four oh, yeah. years. <laughs> That's math. <laughs> <laughs> math. Math good, Danielle. <laughs> oh, goodness. We basically covered his high school and college years. Well, that's good. Does more interesting stuff happen in the chapter, the, sec- the second section? I don't remember. Maybe. <laughs> we'll find out. Now, I think uh, I want to hear your prediction because, I, again, I think you could write this book. <laughs> My prediction? I don't know. Obviously, the change to have something going on. I already said that I think oh, that there's... Let, let that me the... tell you the title of the next section first. Okay. The next section is called Part 2. A Lonely Road. A Lonely Road. Okay. Well, I think the change obviously have something going on in their utopian-esque society outside of okay. their their terrible people who turn them into the changed. Okay. <laughs> um, I think the dragon rider people things. What are they called? Dragon riders. Dragon riders. That's right. The first time. <laughs> Nailed it. <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> White fish, dragon not, not riders. I can do this. <laughs> yeah, just think of the first thing that comes to your head, and that's it. Obviously, I think the dragon riders have something to do with it. Obviously, the dragons will somehow end up helping battle the on or whatever. We'll battle somebody. I kind of think the on should win. Like, yeah, at this yeah. at this point, maybe he turns sides and decides to help the on. <laughs> that would be okay. Yeah. Um. Gosh, Oof. what else do I think might happen? Do you think they ever reconnect the, the lost lovers? Yes, though a lot of those characters seem to disappear and never show up again or then die. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, raise a glass for Pyrian because he was killed unjustly. It's very sad. Except that in the the thing that you sent me, the the chapter, whatever, the book, (laughs) what's the word I'm looking for? The description of the book. Yeah, the summary. She is mentioned as a character, so I'm assuming that she makes it past the first section. Oh, you mean you mean Rowan the, the Ryan, Ryan the maid, Ryan, the maid. whatever her name is, not the maid. maid. <laughs> I guess she's a maid, a maiden. Maiden, there you go. Ryan, Rowan, Ryan. I don't know. Ryan the the mage. I think obviously she plays some kind of role. I don't know if they get together in the second section, but I hope that she has some kind of agency at some 
some point. <laughs> Though that might be, be giving nice. him too much credit. Again, maybe. Well, it's first. If it's first, is it stay first person for the rest of the book with him? I honestly don't remember. I don't know if it's. I think it does switch to a third person of Ryan mm-hmm. for some part of it, but I could be remembering that all wrong. Interesting. Or maybe first person for Ryan. I, 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 I remember her perspective again. Foggy memory, and even though I read this again this week, the stuff I just read is still foggy. <laughs> That's understandable. There was a lot. There was a lot, and a lot of it didn't matter. It, or got killed off unceremoniously. Poor, poor Pearden. I know. I think that's my takeaway from this <laughs> section is <laughs> Pearden got a, got the short end of the stick Seems there. Unfair. And I, like, I wonder, I'm kind of curious if the roommate's going to play into anything, or if it's just going to be yeah. a wasted character. I think maybe he comes along. Nope. <laughs> maybe not. Gosh, it's 50-50, Danielle. 50-50. <laughs> we may or may not be dropped and never mentioned again and then die in a fiery place during a, <laughs> a firefight. <laughs> Invasion. What a way to go. So that's the end of this section. If you enjoyed listening to that and can explain any of it to us, please get in touch at our website, bookretorts.com. I'm especially interested. I still want to know the answers to the map question that haunts me. (laughs) Write in. Tell me about the map if you can. And I'm sure Danielle has questions too, but really, the map is the important thing here. The map's the important thing for sure. (laughs) And look forward to part two next time. And until then, bye. Bye. Take care. tin roof <laughs> is there a cat on there yes hot cat <laughs> hot cat on a tin roof that's a very different book oh <laughs> uh, boy that'd be like cats <laughs> i want to see that <laughs> i bet you do i do kind of want to i want to watch it with other people though and we can't right now <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>